Welcome to the podcast, Speak Your Peace. This is a podcast about Utah's history. My name's Brad Westwood, and I'm from the Utah Department of Heritage and Arts. Today's speaker is Jim Dark, retired curator and uh, adjunct professor of uh, uh, history, or rather, I think you were adjunct of, was it communications at BYU? Uh, Theater and Media Arts and the American Studies program. And uh, you taught all together at BYU uh, in your field of interest for? 30 years. Film history courses, film and American culture, and film genres. So many things have been, um, uh, I've personally appreciated over the years. Uh, you did a wonderful film series uh, at the Fort Douglas uh, for uh, uh, an event that was sponsored by the uh, Naomi and Hal Tate Foundation, where we brought a film into, uh, or we showed it as it was to be seen originally in a film setting, or I mean, in a theater setting. It was just amazing. Tell me a little bit about some of those films that you shared and why you selected the films in that series. Well, this was a, a series of films that were shot uh, mostly in Utah, uh, that foregrounded Utah landscapes and how they were used in significant American motion pictures, including one uh, made in 1947 with Joel McRae and the sultry blonde Veronica Lake called Ramrod, filmed entirely in Zion National Park and in the environs. Uh, A very adult type of Western in terms of thematics and violence that uh, many film historians now call uh, film noir or dark film. Hey, and that was our centennial film for 1947, was it not? And I dare say that most of your listeners don't even know that Utah had a centennial (laughs) film in 1947 that raised such a ruckus in the Utah legislature that legislators fought over whether we should have this film as a centennial film because it was so violent and governor Herbert Ma had to come in and uh, almost like in a boxing ring, separate the combatants and say, all right, we can't have any more of this. Ramrod is becoming Utah's centennial film and that's it. So there was a terrific star studded premiere in Salt Lake in February of 1947 And key broadcasters from the nation came to Salt Lake City and had live national hookups for this premiere. And the stars, Joel McRae, Veronica Lake, and the director, Andre Detoff, came in a special chartered train from Los Angeles, the Ramrod Special. So it was a big deal. (laughs) And Governor Ma could tell the legislators, I told you so, this was a big, big success. And it's a well-respected film, even now. Jim, in the previous segment, we spoke about um, how these films are not only entertainment, but they document a, a Utah that may have passed or it's so radically different. Tell us about some of those films. Let's talk about uh, the national use of national parks. Let's talk about uh, beautiful landscapes without... Um, uh, telephone poles or any kind of sign of modern life. I mean, people, Hollywood came here because of these wonderful landscapes, which in many ways are, are past now. You've hit on a topic that I'm very passionate about, that Hollywood movies 
and those made by other countries in the state of Utah, uh, are not only of interest to us because of the economic benefits or even the entertainment value that it has to people all around the world, or even to tourism. Rather, I look at these vintage Hollywood films serving a purpose to document Utah's landscape the way it was and no longer is. I'll use two films as an example. Uh, My friend Flicka was a very popular, beautifully photographed Technicolor film in 1943, starring Preston Foster and, and a young Roddy McDowell, who later became a very significant Hollywood star. These films were photographed up in a beautiful, sprawling, meadow-filled area on Cedar Mountain called Duck Creek, which now is a very uh, heavily patronized vacation area full of hundreds of second homes and vacation cabins. Well, my friend Flicka shows these broad vistas with horses running and cattle being raised in a way that no other motion pictures that the state has documented has ever produced. So when you watch my friend Flicka, Thunderhead's son of Flicka, and a sequel called The Green Grass of Wyoming, yes, I know, Wyoming, Wyoming. in Utah, preserves so many beautiful color motion picture footage of this area uh, that I think it serves the purpose of Utah history. It shows where the rivers were, and I emphasize were, how broad and expansive these meadows were, the various farms and ranches that were up in this area, that uh, there's nothing else to equal any motion picture footage of how these areas looked to Utahns. The Lone Ranger, starring Clayton Moore, was a feature film inspired by the popular television series in 1956, all filmed in the Kanab area. And at the very beginning of the film, you see some outlaws riding down Kanab Canyon, which is now the site of the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. Well, you see Kanab Canyon in a way that it does not look at all today. Kanab Canyon is choked with trees, and you can't even see Kanab Creek. And yet at the beginning of The Lone Ranger and in many other scenes in the film, you see Kanab Canyon the way people knew about it for generations and generations. Mm -hmm. Again, widescreen, color, motion picture, Hollywood helped preserve how something looked in a way that we in the state of Utah didn't even do. Mm-hmm. And so preserving these Hollywood motion pictures, whether it's Kanab, St. George, Moab, even Salt Lake City or its environs, um, has done Utah a service in preserving how our landscape looked, how we used this landscape. Well, in some cases, the films um, had something of an adverse effect on these landscapes. Uh, I mean, we're not, they weren't as sensitive as we are now as far as environmental impact. But I was, I have to say, I was astounded watching uh, in that film series that we did at Fort Douglas, uh, Ramona, where the backdrop was Zion's National Park. And that's an interesting case of a film that has been lost for generations. And after the first edition of my book was published in 2010, a silent print of this film, because it was made in 1927 during the silent film era, 
A print of this was discovered in the Czechoslovakian film archive with Czech intertitles. A few years after that, another print of Ramona, which is the classical uh, story of the founding of Southern California during the Spanish colonial period, was found in the Russian film archives with its original color tints and tones. Mm. It was restored by the Library of Congress, and I premiered this film at the BYU Special Collections Motion Picture Archive film series the following year. And so this lost film has now been found. So think of the irony of a classic Californian story in the Spanish <laughs> colonial period being set amidst the beautiful grandeur of Zion National Park in 1927. And when, when I was doing primary research on the book, as I mentioned earlier, this film was lost. So I had to locate people in the area who were around as little boys and girls who remembered the stars coming into Zion National Park and in Springdale. And they could identify for me the rivers and the locations where they filmed so much of this. And I've included some of their snapshots mm -hmm. in the book to document Ramona. Well, I, uh, the one that caught my eye was the Hacienda at where it was built. Can you talk about that? Oh, yes. When, uh, when tourists take the tour bus up the canyon and do a turnaround in that area, that is where the Spanish Hacienda was built. No way would the National Park Service allow such construction and filming in Zion National Park. And then the residents of Ramona and her Native American husband was built high on the west ridge of Zion National Park. And all the construction materials had to be hauled way up on the West Rim Trail. Again, something that would never be allowed today. And yet we see some incredible vistas of Zion National Park in motion pictures in 1927. Something that I haven't been able to find in any film archive since that time. And it took a Hollywood movie company to film a California story <laughs> to get that now very valuable footage of Zion National Park. Well, it, it's just fascinating to see the backdrop, to see the park as it was. And as, as your book indicates, the then superintendent uh, uh, almost lost his job because the, when, the, when the, the federal agency found out they had filmed it there and allowed them to build all these things there in the park. It was, uh, he got his hand slapped. Yes, he did. He got his hand slapped. So while Hollywood tells fictional stories in which we invest a willing suspense of disbelief, they are serving the purposes of truth and fact as it was <laughs> in Utah. You know, I think in the same, um, the same line, uh, Footloose and, and Lehigh in American Fork. Yes. You want to talk about that? Yes. Uh, this great musical starring Kevin Bacon in the mid-1980s uh, utilized in grand fashion the historic Lehigh roller mills right off the freeway now in Lehigh and was also shot in uh, Pleasant Grove and in southern Utah County and is a wonderful indication of how things looked then. So different, even though it's been 40 years. It's and Footloose was a big, big blockbuster movie. And 
I don't need to tell any of the listeners about the popularity of the soundtrack either. Well, uh, for us who grew up in Utah, I'll tell you, watching that film, it's, uh, you know, big open fields. Uh, the, the little church is a, a Presbyterian church that I think was in American Fork. I mean, you can see the uh, if you have grew up in this area, you can identify so many sites in that film. Yes, yes. And so, to me, one of the great values of motion pictures, mainly to Utahns, is that we see our own state in ways that we never thought of it before. There's a great line in one of the most famous movies made in Utah, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where Paul Newman and Robert Redford are riding down on their horses on the Virgin River, right in Zion National Park, which is meant to be the hole in the wall uh, hideout Mm -hmm. of the gang. And Paul Newman muses to Redford, You know, I don't know why I keep coming back to this area. Uh, Maybe it's because it's like seeing it fresh for the first time. And I suggest this is one of the great experiences that Utahns can have, whether you've been here for 10 years or for 80 years. Places like Zion National Park or Canyonlands or Goblin Valley or Salt Lake City that you think of in a traditional way, Track down these movies, see some of these locations, and you'll be seeing your home state, the state in which you live, fresh for the first time. It enlarges your imagination, and you can begin to ponder, well, why did they look at this area that way and place this story that way? I never thought of it that way before. I think that's a good therapeutic exercise for all of us. Well, I I also am... uh, Fascinated by the uh, growth of tourism based on films made in Utah. Uh, I know that the Department of Heritage and Arts has built a a story, uh, a GIS storyboard where you can sort of track down so many of these locations that you speak of in the film. Uh, It's not just a, a story of the past. It's contemporary public history. People are going out and tracking these locations and uh, figuring out exactly where their favorite uh, shots of a film were taken. I, uh, I have gotten emails from people I don't even know who purchased the book and said, we planned our vacation next year based on the chapters in your book. And we would pick out a region, we would watch the films, and then we would go to the locations that you identified in the back of your book for these motion pictures. Jim, list the various locations because your your carefully written book uh, is based on geographical settings. What are those major settings that films were done in Utah? Well, the primary locations are in the national parks and the state parks around Moab, such as Canyonlands, Arches, uh, Dead Horse Point State Park, all around the Moab area, right along uh, uh Scenic Highway 128 on the Colorado River. The areas in Kanab are the uh, coral pink sand dunes, the canyon that was created by the Perea River, just about 45-minute drive east of Kanab. Certainly you have Monument Valley. And the West Desert, even around uh, Wendover and the Salt Flats, where movies such as Pirates of the Caribbean were filmed way out there. 
uh, and to the extreme western end of Utah on the border with Nevada near Garrison, which is as lonely a place as you could probably pick, the iconic 1923 western, the covered wagon, was made there. So there is virtually no part of Utah that Hollywood hasn't used to envision either a story about the West or contemporary life in virtually any country around the world. Fascinating. We've been talking to Dr. Jim Dark about his book, When Hollywood Came to Utah. Uh, As we mentioned before, this is the third edition of this book. Uh, Jim, tell us about where people can buy a copy of your book. They can get it at Barnes and Noble bookstores. They can order it online from Amazon. And this third edition is revised and updated through the end of 2018. So it starts with a movie made in 1913, also lost, called 100 Years of Mormonism, silent film. Mm -hmm. And it concludes with the hit Paramount Network series, Yellowstone which is still in production, starring Kevin Costner. So what an incredible heritage the state of Utah has in uh, doing what a Utah Film Commission head once said is a postcard that Utah sends all around the world. It's movies. And it's an economic as well as social and ideological kind of postcard. It, it just shows you just how influential Utah is uh, to our imaginations as well as to... Uh, or the economy and so on. Uh, I um, I noticed in this particular edition, uh, you um, you say this book is in loving memory of Patricia M. Dark, uh, the woman of my dreams. What a wonderful thing to do! And I know uh, Patricia. I remembered her, and uh, I think um, she's passed away. Uh, as I think it's been fifteen years. Correct. And. Um, I just think it's uh, not only a wonderful book of facts and uh, culture, but I think it's a very interesting personal odyssey for you. I can see, uh, as I've known you all these years, I see uh, your personal story in here uh, as really Utah's premier film historian. Jim, thank you so much for being a part of uh, Speak Your Peace today. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the podcast, Speak Your Peace, where writers, historians, and contributors to Utah's history share their insights and discoveries. We'd like to thank Connor Sorensen from Studio Underground, who is our sound engineer and post-production editor. We hope you'll tune in again to Speak Your Peace. Thanks for being a part of this wonderful taping today. I'm Brad Westwood, and we're signing off.